You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. It's Acts chapter 11. We're going to wrap up our study of this wonderful model of a church, the church at Antioch. Acts chapter 11, we've been looking at this specific church for a couple of weeks now. But we've been looking in the, in the grand scheme of the book of Acts, this wonderful historical account of the birth of the church. And we've been saying this, I've been saying this from the pulpit, that, that it is God's Word, God's power, and God's church who sends us on our mission. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been sent on a mission. You have a heartbeat beating inside of your chest right now for the purpose of making disciples. You say, man, I, I think there's more to it than that. There's definitely more to, to life, but the, the single purpose in life is for Christians to spread the gospel so that lost people can hear the gospel, be convicted by the Holy Spirit, and come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. And how does that happen? It happens by the Word of God, by the power of God, and His church sends us on on our mission. I've been saying as you walk out those doors... This afternoon, but before we, as you leave, you walk into your mission field. This is our huddle. This is our time to come together and get the play. And this is the play that we are to make disciples. And we do that through the power of God's Word, through the power of the church, um, and through the Holy Spirit power. I want you to see just real quick, I want to just a real, just a, a run through glance, glance, glance at the church. The characteristics of the early church is that they were united in prayer. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that they were united in prayer. They were marked by generosity. We see that just, they were marked by generosity in those that they knew, those that they had come to, come to love as brothers and sisters in Christ. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 in Acts chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 32 and on. And as we will see in our text, they are marked by generosity, not just by people they know, but marked by people that they will probably never even meet, people of a different culture and a different ethnicity. That is the early church, marked by generosity, and they are boldly evangelistic. We see that from the very beginning, that the early church, the, the, our historical roots, the church is boldly evangelistic. And I want you to see that it has not been easy sailing for the church from the get-go. It has not been easy sailing. We look at our culture today and say, man, this is hard. This is difficult. How can we advance the gospel in what all is going on today? Listen, all we have to do is go back at our historical roots, and we can see that the church has overcome corruption. From day one, it has overcome corruption. It has overcome persecution. All of this just within the first couple of years. It has overcome distraction. The church has overcome false accusations. The church has overcome confusion. The church has even overcome racism. We think maybe that's just something that's in our, within our century. No, from the very beginning, the church has overcome this thing called racism. The church has overcome prosperity teaching. And in our text today, uh, let me back up, because just reading that list, that kind of just sounds like 2020, doesn't it? 
corruption, persecution, distraction, false accusation, confusion, racism, and prosperity teaching. The church has overcome every single one of those issues and will continue to do so. But in our text today, we're going to look specifically at the church and how they will overcome a severe national famine. Here's a statement I want you to write down. I want you to remember, I want you to just cement this in your brain. When the local church of God is busy doing the work of God, nothing will stop her. Let me say that again. When the local church of God is busy doing the work of God, then nothing will stop her. It would not have taken much for the early church to get distracted on secondary and tertiary issues, to be so distracted and get their eyes off of the work of God that they would have been snuffed out. And we see that through history, that happening to specific local churches. But when the local church of God is busy doing the work of God, then nothing can stop her. And I want you to see this. Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 27. I briefly mentioned this this past week, but I really want us to to dive into this today. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, the church is, is, uh, is, is three, four, five years old. We don't know exactly, but, but this is not just in the beginning stages. They're a couple of years old by now. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was the birthplace of the church, so like from the, uh, from the mother church, if you would. Now they've been sent out, and people have evangelized this area of Antioch, and the church has, has sprung up. Verse 28, one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world, literally throughout all of the Roman world. This was going to affect Antioch. Without any question, this famine, and you can read, and if you want to jump ahead, Acts chapter 21, later on this afternoon, you can read a little bit about uh, that, how, that, how that famine uh, played out. But it's going to affect Antioch. So there's, there's this prophecy that the severe famine is going to hit all throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Look at verse 29. Each of the disciples... Now, please don't um, misinterpret that as thinking that that's the twelve apostles, that that's the, you know, the, uh, the, the special chosen ones. No, this is the, this is the believers. These, these are those that, that are now called Christians. Not just God-fearers, but those who are followers of Jesus Christ. They're, they're disciples. They're, they're students of the way of Jesus. It says, each of the disciples, according to, this is, this is important, you can underline this if you like, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. Notice this. I want you to notice, right off the top, here's a church who, before Jesus Christ, was, or here's a group of people, if you will, before Jesus Christ would have been despised, was despised, by the people in Jerusalem. But now they have a common denominator, and that is a belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And now, even though they are of different ethnicities, they are on, in different parts of the country, never will probably ever meet one another, now they are considered brothers and sisters in Christ, having one Father. You already begin to see in the church this, this beautiful family uh, dynamic that, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ right here within your, within your own family 
if you're a followers of Christ within the corporate local body of believers, but even our brothers and sisters in India, our brothers and sisters in Africa, our brothers and sisters around the world, we are family. We begin to see that here in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Look at what happens in verse 30. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So they they determined what they could give to help with this need that was going to take place. And they sent it through the leaders of the church to take it back to the church there in Jerusalem. Here's what I, the question I want us to ask this morning. What can we learn from this vibrant, grace-giving, generous church uh, called Antioch? What can we learn from them? The first is this. Write this down. Grace-giving was selfless. That's what we see very first. Grace-giving for the people of the church at Antioch was selfless. If you notice, the, uh, this is a prophecy about a famine that is going to take place. It hasn't taken place yet. It's a prophecy that a famine is going to take place. And yet, they determine, the early believers determine, let me pause here for a second, sorry. They determine from an early, as soon as they hear the prophecy, that they're going to help. They trust in faith of the prophecy of Agabus. The body of believers seem more concerned to prepare aid for others than they were with hoarding their own supplies for a need that is more than likely going to happen in their own life. But they are more concerned for others. They are putting, here's what we notice, here's just a characteristic of the early church. They put others before self. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. This is the instruction that Paul is giving them. Everyone should look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This is what makes this just a a marvelous church. They had a grace-giving that was selfless. Listen, this is a great reminder that we, as a church body, we must not only do local and global ministry when we think that we're financially stable and secure. We, we, don't, we don't need to wait until there's a financial uh, foundation, secure foundation. We can believe now. We can begin now. You, as an individual, can begin now, even if that means starting small. Just start somewhere. Listen, it's important that we share the gospel. It's important that we show mercy to this broken world as much and as often as we can. Notice in the Scripture it says, according to our own ability. I want you to, I want you to really hear this statement. I, I'd saved this quote. I, I wish I could give credit to who, who, who I wrote it. I I couldn't find it, but listen to this quote. Cheerful giving is the result of gracious living, and gracious living is characteristic of those who truly understand the gracious nature of a life in Christ. Let me say that again. Cheerful giving 
is the result of gracious living. And gracious living is a characteristic of those who truly understand the gracious nature of a life in Christ. First thing we see with this church is that grace giving was selfless. The second thing is that grace giving was generous. Grace giving was generous. For the church here in Antioch, grace giving was generous. The church did Antioch, they, they didn't ask how much will it cost. They hear this prophecy that a famine is going to hit all of the known world. And they don't, you don't see them coming together and going, man, how, how much is this going to cost? They simply gave as much as they could. Listen, this kind of generosity shows. It, it reveals that the gospel was not just some esoteric thought that was out there. It had, it, it had literally transformed their life. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 specifically. Write this down in the margin of your Bible. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Actually, he takes about two chapters to write to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We're going to look specifically at chapter 8, verse 9. But he writes to the Corinthian church uh, about the same issue, about uh, the, the famine has already hit the Roman world, and now Paul is saying we need to continue to help them. And this is so now he's writing to the to the church there at Corinth. But listen to what he says to the church at Corinth, Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. Follow along with me on the screen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What's Paul talking about here? The Apostle Paul illustrates by speaking of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who possessed all the riches that you could have in heaven. And yet, he chose to come to earth, clothe himself, and become poor for our sake. Listen, it was this selfless, self-giving act that led to the cross, which allowed us to be eternally rich. This is what he's talking about. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich, rich. Listen, I believe when we come to grips, when this becomes a... Not a head knowledge, but a heart conviction of this amazing gift that God has given us, this grace. Listen, we become profoundly aware of the riches we have received at Christ's expense. Listen, it is this awareness that motivates faithful, selfless, generous giving that reveals the sincerity of our love. So we see that the church at Antioch was, was grace-giving and selfless. Their grace-giving was generous. And the third was their grace-giving was corporate. They, they did it corporately. They, did it, they didn't do it individually. They didn't see a need over here just individually. They did it corporately as a body. The church determines to care for another group of believers. They, they hear that a need is coming. It hasn't come yet, but a need is coming. It's, it's a need of, of a different culture, a different ethnicity, uh, one that's located a distance away from them. 
And they say, we want to help. And they do what Scripture says, as, as, as each one had according to his own ability. And they give it to the leaders of the church, and they send it on its way. And they said here, we trust. We trust you. Both churches belong to Jesus. So the people were brothers and sisters. And the Antioch church gave a tangible expression of this solidarity through their gift. Grace giving was selfless. Grace giving was generous. Grace giving was corporate. But I want to shift gears. I want to move from the past tense to the present tense. Inside your bulletin, if you grabbed one this morning, I hope all of you were able to get one, uh, you'll find a, a graph. looks like this. And sorry you can't read that on the screen. It's a good attempt. I hope you can see that. This is titled, The, church, uh, the Journey of a Church Member's Dollar. There's one area I want to point out to you. I want to talk about specifically. And that is the little red slice of the pie. It's titled Missions, Smart Missions, and then you see 10%. If you look in the top left of that little, uh, of that little handout, here's what this graph is telling you. As you give a dollar to this church, where does that dollar go? And I want to specifically talk about that red slice of the pie because we can study the church at Antioch, but, and that's, that's great. We, we need to do that, and we need to, we need to long to model after them. But I want to brag on our church for a moment because I think that we are doing what we see in Scripture. I said last week that a lot that we, lot that we see in the, in the early church that we, we find ourselves doing today, and a lot of times we just don't realize why we're doing it. If you wonder where your money goes when you give to the church, this graph is a, is a perfect example of where each dollar goes. But specifically, I want to talk about that little red slice of the pie. That is called our cooperative program Giving here in just a moment, I'm going to show you a little short video that will that will explain the history and the power of the cooperative program giving. But I want to tell you something. This it's it is uh, vogue today to be non-denominational, um, and I just at some point you're going to have. A belief. Um, you're going to have some doctrinal direction. If you were to cut me, I would bleed Southern Baptist. I've been Southern Baptist all of my life. Why is that? Well, primarily because of what we believe about the Scriptures. That it is sufficient from Genesis to, I've heard people say, all the way to the maps. <laughs> it is sufficient. It is, it is without error. 
The, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is the very Word of God. And, and because God can't err, then His, His Word can't err. And so when we read in Acts, and we know that Luke literally penned the words in the book of Acts, we know that the Holy Spirit inspired those words. That's one reason that if you was to cut me, I would bleed Southern Baptist. But another reason is because of what we do as Southern Baptists missionally through the cooperative program efforts. There are 46,000 plus Southern Baptist churches. Not all of them uh, operate cooperatively through giving, but the majority, the vast majority of them do. And you say, well, man, my little dollar, 10 cents of my dollar goes to missions. That doesn't seem like very much. Well, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to multiply that by literally millions of other Southern Baptists all around North America. And it makes a huge, huge impact. Listen, there's not one person in this church that could fund all of the ministry of this church. But as we each individually give, as we can, then we are able to fund the ministries of this church. Same thing globally. When we began to look at the global scope, there are over 7 billion people on the planet. majority of those lost that if they die today, and many of them will, they will spend eternity in hell. And I love what this church does. What we see, we see this model. This is the cooperative program model. There is a need pronounced in the church. The people in the church, they go, man, we want to help as much as we possibly can meet that need, and then we're going to send it on to our Mother Church, if you will, Jerusalem, and they're going to disperse the funds as they have needs. That's exactly what we see with the cooperative program. If you look there on the red slice or up at the top, you see, S, you see a bunch of uh, initials, SBC, that's Southern Baptist Convention, SBTC, all of these can kind of make our eyes uh, begin to float, but please try to stay focused. SBTC, that's our state convention. The IMB, our, our international missionaries. Our North, NAMB, the North American missionaries. Our missionary in India who, is, uh, who has the school there. Six theological education seminaries. Uh, two students that are... There's two. I didn't even tell them I was going to do this. But we have two students in our sanctuary um, who, who are benefiting from your gifts to this church. Their, their um, tuition is sliced in half when you go to one of these six seminaries. Um, and I didn't know they were going to be here this morning, but it's so good to see because we can see the two students right here in our sanctuary. Six theological education seminaries, the ERLC, disaster relief teams. Listen, we have... One of, if not the very best disaster relief teams that are not just in North America, but literally globally all around the world. When a disaster hits here in Texas or anywhere in the world, Southern Baptists have people on the ground who are there to help. But here's the cool thing. They're not just there to cut down a tree or to shovel some mud or to, uh, uh, to feed somebody. They are there with those purposes to be, to be the hands and feet of Christ, but they are also the mouthpiece. They are sharing the gospel. And oftentimes when a disaster hits and our disaster relief teams are there, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Also within that, that, uh, that little slice, we do our own local missions. Listen, I want you to see 
that it's not just past tense. This is grace giving that is selfless. This is grace giving that is generous. Can we do more? I believe absolutely we can do more, but this is generous and it is corporate. It is something that we decide uh, at, at the beginning of the year. We say, here is the budget. This is how much we are going to spend on missions out of our budget. And we corporately vote on that and we send it. And then a few times during the year, uh, at Easter time and at Christmas and right around when school starts, we do specific mission um, efforts to raise uh, a little bit more for those ministries. But I want you to take just a second. Watch this little short video of the cooperative program, and I want you to get a big picture of what this looks like. Why is there a cooperative program? In 1919, Southern Baptists realized the ministry that they wanted to do at the time was not possible. They saw the financial need in front of them and offered a solution. This gave birth to what we now know as the cooperative program. The solution that was offered was the 75 million campaign. Over the next five years, Southern Baptists came together to raise $75 million. They failed. Only 60 million was raised. However, this amount was more than we had raised in the previous 74 years combined. Through the money raised, more ministry was made possible. Albeit a failure, the 75 million campaign was a stepping stone that made CP possible. It opened our eyes to the fact that when we come together as a body, God does what we can't do alone. In 1925, the cooperative program was officially launched. It's weathered the ups and downs, but has now lasted close to 100 years. Things have changed and culture has shifted, but the heartbeat of the cooperative program has remained the same. When you join others in giving to CP, you're helping seminary students, missionaries, church planters, and disaster relief teams do the ministry that they're called to do. At the SBTC, 55% of the cooperative program money received is sent on to the Southern Baptist Convention for Ministry Beyond Texas. 45% is kept there in Texas to do ministry within the state. When you give through the cooperative program, you join millions of other Christians in coming together to fulfill the Great Commission. You are helping make ministry possible. We are better together. Why, why, do, I, why do I bring this out? Well, one, I, I, it's, it's what we see in Scripture. It's where we're at in Acts. But more importantly than that, I want you to see as a church, this is what we're about. Not just about locally doing everything right here locally, but we have a heart and a concern for the nations. We currently have internationally over 3,600 missionaries. That's not counting their families, but are all around the world. And you'd say, man, I, how, how is that going right now with, with everything that's going on in, in the world and with the, with the coronavirus? Let me tell you how it's going. Just this past Wednesday, we commissioned 61 new missionaries, and they will go through training in the next several weeks, and then they will be sent out. Listen, people are still being called by God to go to the nations, and we as a church get to be a part of that, and I believe that is absolutely incredible. Just this last year, in 2019, almost 90,000 people gave their life to Christ through the work of our international missionaries. 47,929 baptism, baptism, 
baptisms. And then get this. This is what we're seeing in the book of Acts. We see persecution. We see, we see difficulty. We see heartache. And we see the church grow. And that's exactly what we see going on through our international missionaries. Over 12,000 new churches that you, FBC Farwell, has been able to plant and start through our international missionaries. What about North America, just right here in North America? There are, they have focused, our North American missionaries are focused on 33 SEND, S-E-N-D, cities, primarily major mega cities, to train, equip, and to plant, and to replant churches. And, and, and this might sound just like numbers, but, but as we watch the news... As we look at what's going on in our nation, listen, the only hope to racism is Jesus Christ. The only hope to corporate greed is is Jesus Christ. The only hope to, to poor policies in policing is Jesus Christ. And, and, and we can get frustrated, we can get angry, and, and it's okay for us to do that, but we must have a gospel footprint in the world, and right here in North America. And so these just aren't numbers. These are literally people who are all around the world on our behalf who we're helping to fund, and we're doing what we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. And I think it's absolutely remarkable. Do you realize, <clears throat> I know in our part of the world, it looks like there are churches on every corner. Man, on one street, we have three. <laughs> but you realize there are, there is one Southern Baptist church, one Southern Baptist church for every 6,200 people. The average church is, we're an average-sized church, 100 to 125 people. Listen, we need to plant more churches. We need to do more of what we're doing, not do less. And so I'm going to go back to what I said at the very beginning. When the local church of God is busy doing the work of God, then nothing will stop her. When the local church of God is busy doing the work of God, then nothing <clears throat> will stop her. I am thankful for this church. I am thankful for the history of this church who has, from the very beginning, I believe, as far as I've been able to go back and see, has always been about funding the cooperative program. Praise God for that. But I want us to be a church who's not just thankful for what has happened in the past, <clears throat> but to say our best days are ahead of us and we're going to continue, by the grace of God, to fund the cooperative program, and just continue to do what we see us doing and what is happening all around the world. Why? Because what I said, the answer, and it, it's not oversimplification, it is the answer to the brokenness in our world. The answer is Jesus Christ. The hope of this nation, the hope of your neighbors, is Jesus Christ. And we must, we must be about doing all that we can to be a church who is reaching the neighbors and the nations with the gospel. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.